Good morning and welcome. Uh, I've been asked to uh, let you know for those uh, of you who ordered Halloween tracks, uh, they are in. Uh, Carol has them, and you can uh, find them at the front desk in the lobby on your way out. And with that, let's turn to Romans, please. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 this morning. want to be mindful and keep uh, those Jewish families uh, down in Pittsburgh. Um, hold them up before the Lord. Uh, Paul writing here, in verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, And men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So that they are without an excuse. Godhead is reference to his divinity. And because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And therefore also God gave them up, gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Those who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature, each other, rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Lord, we praise you. And Heavenly Father, we are thankful, Lord, for truth today. Thank you, Lord, that you spoke truth, Lord, into our lives. Lord, delivering us from falsehoods, uh, delivering us, Lord, from, from lies and and the devastation that they so often, Lord, bring into people's lives. And Father, I pray that as we uh, have this opportunity to gather, Lord, safely today, we, we do pray. We pray for these Jewish families, Lord, these loved ones, this synagogue, Lord, down in Pittsburgh, and not only them. Lord, uh, we're reminded, Lord, in this very book that we read, that we have a debt, Lord, to the Jewish people. Because, Lord, we have, Lord, wonderfully found, Lord, a Jewish Savior. And, Father, uh, so we want to pray. We pray that they would come to know, Lord, the comfort that we have come to know through thy blessed Holy Spirit. 
And so we pray, Father, pray for those families, those survivors, Lord, uh, that you would, Lord, hedge them about and comfort them. And Lord, we pray that uh, perhaps at this time, that you would use your people, the church, Lord, to, to bring comfort and encouragement, Lord, to Lord, Jewish people around this country. Lord, uh, we're, we're so thankful uh, for what we have. And what we have, Lord, <laughs> in and through a, a Jewish Messiah. So, Father, uh, we pray that as we consider these verses here this morning, Lord, uh, give us, we pray, a, a better apprehension. Lord, uh, regarding these things that are spoken here, Lord, uh, we see so many, Lord, lives that are affected, Lord, Lord, devastated, Lord, by, by some lie. We, we thank you, Lord. May we never take for granted the truth, the truth that we have in Jesus, the truth that we have in scriptures. And so, Lord, we, uh, we give our time to you this morning. We invite you. As always, Lord, you're the guest of honor. We pray that uh, you'd be active by your spirit to open our understanding, Lord, to have a deeper appreciation, we pray, of these things. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Uh, last week, as we looked at uh, verses 16 and 17, we were introduced there to the righteousness of God uh, that comes to us through Jesus Christ uh, and through his atoning work. But in order to really properly uh, assess and understand the righteousness of God, it's important that we consider the unrighteousness of man. Um, you know, man doesn't really fully know his condition. Um, and, if we, and it's only when we do un- begin to understand our condition, our situation, do we really turn to the Lord, you know, for help. Uh, it's interesting how people, uh, and I think this is a general kind of uh, idea that uh, we just need a minor adjustment. If we, if we just have a minor adjustment, we'll be okay, you know. It's like the first, the first book, uh, probably around 1968, um, that was in sort of the psychology uh, series um, and focus on psychology in a new kind of way was, I'm okay, you're okay. And uh, we're not okay. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> uh, sorry if we're... Uh, uh, disrupting, uh, you know, y- your idea, the fact that, uh, you know, you don't think you have any needs. We have tremendous needs, and, and it's uh, only as we turn to Christ can we find those needs uh, truly met. Well, what we find in this chapter is really the, uh, the truth about the awful place where unbelief will take us. You know, unbelief uh, will take us in a terrible place. Uh, initially, it doesn't seem like that. Uh, it not only can do that to the person, but it can do that actually to an entire generation, even a culture uh, or a nation of people. Uh, I was thinking of this morning in relation to back in the 1940s, uh, Billy Graham, uh, you know, God was just beginning to use him. And there was another man by the name of Charles Templeton. Uh, and everybody thought that Templeton was a better preacher uh, than Billy Graham. Um, he was just, um, you know, he was... Um, you know, it seemed to be there was such an anointing and a power, you know, in his presentation of the gospel message. But what interestingly happened to him uh, is doubts began to arise in his heart. Um, and so he goes from a place of hope to a place of hopelessness. And he died a hopeless man. 
which is interesting. He died without Christ. He died without the, the gospel. Uh, it's interesting how he, in a sense, he believed in it, at, obviously at one point in his life, but when we began to really investigate it, he struggled with it and doubts come in. And certainly they will, doubts will come in you know, to our life. Uh, you know, even perhaps when we get beyond the initial you know, committing ourselves to God, you know, doubts about you know, later on about the love of God or the plan of God or the purpose of God as maybe difficult things take place in our life. Uh, and we can't reconcile, you know, as a believer, why? You know, why is this happening to me? Uh, and, and it's important, too, that we deal with those doubts. Because if we, if we don't, we'll be overtaken, you know, by this whole area and this issue of belief. Now, in verse 18, he begins here. Uh, that's why we didn't want to just brush over it, uh, the whole matter of the wrath of God. Uh, he begins by basically saying it's revealed against ungodly behavior and, and also the suppression of truth. The, the word wrath there is kind of interesting because it's in the passive voice. And, it, and, it, uh, and obviously, uh, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Uh, it's nothing like, when we're, like we've been talking about, okay, over the last year in Revelation, okay? Uh, that's going to be a full-on display of the wrath of God. Um, against a Christ-rejecting world that's thumbing their nose at him. But what does Paul mean by this? You know, the wrath of God is basically being revealed. Uh, like I said, this word wrath is in the passive voice, and it simply means his displeasure, uh, his, his exasperation with the things that are taking place, you know, within culture. Uh, so looking at verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteous or unrighteous uh, behavior. And it's interesting, too, that unbelief will always be expressed in the, in, the, in, the, in the area of suppression of truth. And we see that, don't we, in our culture in so many ways, uh, how people just, you know, they, they, we, we, you know, there's something about our fallen human nature where we simply love to suppress the truth. And there may be even things, even as believers, certain things that we don't want known you know, about us, maybe you're about our past or about our uh, situation, or maybe about our struggle. Um, and so we may find it very difficult to talk to somebody about that or to express that, you know, considering that if we do, that perhaps maybe we'll be rejected or whatever the case may be. And this whole idea of, of suppression of truth is just simply holding back the truth uh, in a very, or hiding it in a very proactive way. But really, this is an issue, isn't it, with all humanity from top to bottom? Um, think about the presidents of suppressed truth. And it ain't just one. It, it's, it's many of them, if not all of them, to some kind of, you know, some kind of degree. Um, you know, we, you see it if you read the, the, the stories about John F. Kennedy. Um, one of the big things uh, regarding um, uh, uh, Johnson <clears throat> was the fact that all the, the, the lies and the cover-up and, and, and the fact that, the, you know, if we bailed out of Vietnam... Uh, we were going to lose face, you know, among the nations. And yet those lies cost, you know, basically about 60,000 lives uh, later. And, and, of course, we see politicians, you know, fabricating th falsehoods and things of that particular nature regarding maybe some of the things that they're in. You see it in corporations. <clears throat> Remember, it was about 10, 15 years ago, Enron, when all the, the stockholders were all millionaires one day, and the next day they were basically, they had nothing. Uh, just recently, Volkswagen 
they're lying about their mileage tests and that sort of thing. And remember just a, what was it, about eight, ten, or 10 years ago with Bear Starnes um, and the implosion there of the financial markets uh, there on Wall Street. Uh, and of course, too, right around, that same, right around that same time was Bernie Madoff. Um, and uh, he did Madoff. He made off with $50 million of people's money. Uh, and, and nations, too, nations lie. Uh, look at the Saudis, uh, just of late, uh, as an example. Uh, the Russians, you know, in Crimea, as they took that over. And, of course, last but not least is our news media. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we know that they speak the truth all the time, right? Uh, you know, it's interesting about the news media. Uh, they do speak a lot of truth, but it's what oftentimes they leave out. It's what they, they suppress, they, they don't give oftentimes all the facts about all the different situations and circumstances. And I watch it and I sometimes wrestle with those folks. And, um, but I think even too, this is the reason, suppression of truth is the reason why there's oftentimes what we call deathbed confessions. Where a person basically uh, has not been truthful. Man, they want to release. They want to release before they leave this life. And perhaps maybe their concept of, you know, being honest about that, you know, with their maker and so forth. Uh, but we see this whole area of suppression of truth. It's something that uh, we have to be very careful. Uh, it's important that we're to be people of truth. Um, you know, our God is the God of truth. And it's important uh, for us to have uh, honesty. You know, honesty in our life, in our demeanor. Um, that's one of the things that oftentimes is, is um, not tolerated oftentimes within you know, Christian circles. Um, and I mean particularly by the world when, when perhaps maybe a Christian gets caught lying and gets caught in hypocrit hypocritical kind of a uh, posture uh, that the world, boy, they come down on you and they, you know, they are going to... Uh, really rub it into your face because the fact of the matter is we're always talking about truth. We're supposed to be truthful, honest people. And um, so I think it's important that, that we are. Now he says here in verse 19, <clears throat> yes, it, it, it is true that, that certain facts will get suppressed. But in verse 19 we find here is the greater target of what kind of truth is suppressed because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown them in them, to them, rather. Uh, and basically, this is, what, this is the target, the greatest target when it comes to suppression of truth, the truth about God, the truth about the Bible, about the saving grace and power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why so often in our secular culture, uh, you know, the Bible is misquoted, it, it's maligned, uh, it's spoken about in the wrong way, it's mocked by our secular education, and it's forbidden uh, in the sacred halls of humanism. Uh, and, and, and that's why it's interesting how other books, you know, the Koran, um, and I hear this oftentimes, how um, oftentimes, you know, those kinds of things are celebrated uh, in uh, our halls of, you know, education and so forth, um, you know, around our nation. But, there, but because of the Bible, um, because it does speak truth, there's something about the Bible um, that is so unique because it is God's book, it is God's truth, that when you, when you read it with an open heart, it will speak to you. It'll shed light upon your situation. It'll guide you. It'll direct you in so many areas. 
Uh, you know, the Bible is an equal opportunity offender. Uh, have you noticed that? And, um, and I don't get any pass on that, guys. Um, I get offended uh, maybe more than you do because I have to read it. I'm always, you know, preparing and so forth. And um, so God doesn't give me any particular pass, you know, on that. But that's the greatest target. That's the greatest suppression of truth. And, and again, that's why we see that out there in our culture. The Bible will oftentimes be mocked, maligned, um, you know, spoken of in a, a negative kind of a way. Um, and oftentimes people that, 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 I think, develop an attitude against the Bible are people who haven't read the Bible, but they just heard the experts, you know, the so-called experts maligning the Bible and running it down and that sort of thing. And one of the best things you can do is when you come across this kind of folks and say, hey, read the Bible, you know, just, you know read the book of John, uh, the Gospel of John, because the, the, the Gospel of John is designed specifically to get a person to believe uh, so if anybody here says, well, where, yeah, okay, if I'm going to read the Bible, where should I start? Don't, don't start them in Genesis, okay? Uh, because by the time they wade through the law, they're going to say, you know, this is crazy. That can come later, okay? Um, but just simply, you know, point them to the Gospel of John so that they'll, you know, put their faith and realize their need for, for Jesus. Um, <clears throat> so in verse 20 here, uh, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things which are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, as divinity, so that they are without excuse. So in spite of all the, you know, the efforts of men and devils, uh, God is still revealing himself. He's revealing the truth about himself. I find it interesting when I read, uh, when I read about a culture that does not allow the Bible or even Christianity. I'm talking about some of these Muslim cultures. And if you read some of this stuff, I remember one of the men, one of the men who spoke at our conferences uh, is a missionary um, to basically Muslim nations. Uh, and he's written a book uh, about how God is reaching Muslims because it's very difficult. Like, for instance, the pastor that's been incarcerated for the last two years um, in Iran uh, simply because, you know, he was, he was an evangelical Bible teacher. He wasn't a spy. He wasn't working for the CIA. Um, you know, he, he was working for the heavenly CIA, and, uh, and that's why basically he was incarcerated. So it's very difficult to get the truth out in those cultures. And one of the, one of the ways, one of the ways that God's been doing it is through dreams, you know, giving these Muslim dreams, you know, about the Lord. And of course, one of the stories, one of the favorite stories that comes out of that man's life is that he went to a gas station and tried to pay for his, his gas with, a, with his credit card. He couldn't. He goes in. And there's a Muslim lady uh, who's basically, uh, you know, the clerk there, um, you know, in the little, what do you call them, uh, um, convenience stores. And so he just feels prompted to, to ask her, because he had written a book and he had been involved in, in, in outreach to Muslims. He says, have you ever had a dream about Jesus? And she went, she says, I've been dreaming about Jesus for 30 years. I forget the name of the book. I forget the name of the book. A powerful book. God's revealing himself. Even when we refuse <laughs> to speak his name. We need to speak his name. And I think a lot of times, too, we're surprised when we do speak his name and engage somebody with the gospel that God's gone before us. 
And I'll tell you what, a lot of folks out there in our culture know more about the Bible than you think they know. You know, they've had friends that have been, become Christians. And, and who knows if maybe, uh, you know, you, you're, you're speaking to somebody that grew up in a Christian home. Or someone's been thinking about, you know, reading the Bible. We'll be surprised when we simply take that step of faith out and do that. Now, he's speaking here in verse 20 about the, the, the created world system. And it's interesting when you consider the whole idea that so many people have been indoctrinated into evolution. But when you think about this, when you think about the, the, the created world system out there, it is so well organized and ordered. It's well arranged, and it's too much of an integrated system to be a haphazard collection of events that just simply fell into place. I mean, when you look at the world system out there, to, to believe that it just evolved over millions of years. I, it takes more faith to believe that. It is so well integrated. Just look at the human body. Look, look at the miracle of the human body. Look, look at how we relate to one another. Look at our created world out there. Look at nature. Look at the animal kingdom. And when we realize that these things have, that, that's why so often um, there, there's a struggle in science because once, once you admit there is clearly design that your next step is a designer. And, and some, they even use some of that. In science, sometimes they use the language because they don't want to use creator. <laughs> because when you think about creator, we, we, you know, there's a personal God that has a purpose and a design for his creation for each one of our lives. I, I, think, I, think, there's a, I think there's a lot of young people, you know, before oftentimes, you know, the, 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 common, the, the, the concepts of secularism and humanism poison their mind, they oftentimes, well, they, they, they feel like, what's my purpose in life? I can remember thinking that. I can remember thinking that when it just sort of popped up in my mind as a young person. And I think a lot of people. But when you think about a, a, a godless world, well, then I'm just, I'm just nothing. That's why when you go into these godless cultures, life is very cheap. You just snuff people out. People just die. They, there's, 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 there's really uh, not much, you know, in, in integrity or sanctity of life. They just die. There's countries where you just die and you, stay, you lay in the street. Look what a relationship with God has done for us. It's given, it's given sanctity and dignity to life. We don't see that out there in our culture. Now, of course, the, the, the creation isn't the full revelation of God, but it simply points to a supreme being. And I remember saying that very same, I remember saying, having that very th same thought in, in Southeast Asia back in 1969 on a bunker looking up at the skies in, in Vietnam where there was no city lights 
and the sky was so star-studded. Have you ever been in one of those countries where there's no city lights and it looks like it's a panorama? It's incredible. And I'm sitting there and I am not thinking about God. As a matter of fact, I don't want to think about God. I had other things to think about. And I looked up there and I said, it just, it was, it was a revelation. There must be a supreme being who created that. And no sooner I said it, I tried to forget it. But thank God, he didn't forget me. And he doesn't forget us, amen. And all of our attempts, and all of our attempts to, to basically um, remove him, remove him from our world and from our psyche. And you know, when you, in, in here too, when he speaks about these invisible attributes or invisible things, you know, it's really only recently, in the last maybe 100 and 150 years, we'll be able to discover, discover the invisible things like atoms and molecules and DNA and that sort of thing. But it's interesting here, God is telling us way back here in the Bible that these things exist. They're invisible, we just can't see them. And any scientist will tell you, when you get down on a molecular atomic level, there's design there. There's purpose there. Looking at verse 21, now, this is where here in verse 21, he begins this, this downward slide uh, of humanity into confusion. Because although they knew God, in other words, they, they knew something about God. They understood as, some, as, as um, God's plan to some degree was revealed to them. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God nor we're thankful we were singing about that this morning. And see, they reject truth about him, whatever truth may have been shown to them. And of course, there was a thanklessness there. They're thankful for nothing. They think they deserve everything. We see that, don't we? We call it an entitlement attitude. We see it in our culture because, you know, after all, you're, you're born into America. You must be entitled to this, that, or the other thing. And, uh, but such an incredible... Uh, ingratitude. But look what he says. He, here, here's, here's what happens uh, when we refuse to recognize God, to honor him, to glorify him, uh, to be thankful to him, you know, for our life and, you know, for his mercy, his grace. Uh, I find myself, as I get older in Christ, being more thankful because I, I just have been made more aware, I guess, of the, the many little things that I wasn't thankful for before. But became, here's what happens, they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's what happens is the mind, the thinking, becomes diluted, becomes dark in their thoughts. They're filled with vain imaginations. They're filled with fantasies. They're filled with foolish ideas. And the word fool here is interesting. It's where it's also translated out of this, the Greek, it's, all, it's translated moron. To not believe in God is moronic. And it's interesting because a moron is not necessarily somebody that doesn't have, isn't smart or have degrees. It's a character issue. It's not having any character. In verse 22, they claim themselves to be, in, excuse me, intellectuals. 
but they become morons. Professing to be wise, they became fools. You know, you hear sometimes this question, who's the smartest guy in the room? I'll tell you who it is. The believer every time. Faith is ultimately genius. Because it's God's perspective. It's God's, you know, what did Paul say at, uh, in, in one of his epistles? Maybe 2 Corinthians, perhaps. That he has given us what? The mind of Christ. See, when you and I believe the Bible, we start to think God's thoughts. And that's transformational. That, that changes the way that we think. That's why the world is always trying to squeeze. You notice how it's about mind control. It really is. It's about mind control of the culture and of the society. And you can see it when you go around the world. I remember back in the late 80s, myself and another pastor went through the East Block of, of, of Europe, the communist block there. And it was amazing. You go from country to country. The people were the same. And Satan's very clever as he gets a hold of a culture. He begins to shape and mold that culture. And it's only God's truth. And because we have come to know Jesus Christ, that God's Holy Spirit illuminates us. He's constantly bringing truth to us. And that's why we have to allow the truth of God through the Word of God to challenge our lives and change us where we need changing. God help us if we get to the point where we think, you know, we don't need to be changed anymore. You know what I discovered as an older man? The flesh still stinks. The old nature. Oh, it's there. It's there. It's hiding behind a bush. Ready to jump out. I remember Pastor Joe many years ago at a conference, and he gave this analogy of the old man. And what happens in Christ, he's put in the ground, and there's a manhole cover over him. And, he, and he's always talking through the manhole cover, always trying to whisper, always trying to influence, you know, let me out of here just for a little while. I'll be good, I promise. And you let the old man out, the old nature loose, and man, you got trouble. We know, we've all been there, haven't we? They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds, forfeited animals, and creeping things. In other words, they exchanged the precious for the vile. You see, here's the thing about the unbelieving mind. It always moves toward idolatry. You see, if, if we do not worship God, we will worship something. That's what idolatry is. We, we put something, something, I can't live without this. We put it on a pedestal. It could be, it could be another person. With some people, it is. Or it could be some material object, not just some little statuette. I can remember you know, thinking about that um, in, in early religious training, 
uh, you know, in, in parochial schools that, you know, just, you know I would, oh, I would never just bow down and worship this little figurine, this little, you know, relic, this little religious thing. But the fact of the matter is, I was an idolater in all kinds of other ways. And, and that's, that's what happens with unbelief. It begins to move us into this area of idolatry. Instead of relating upward to him, we're relating down. That's why the, the natural man relates to animals. Now, we all love our pets. That's not really the issue. But we relate more to the animal world or the animal life than we relate to him. I was thinking about sports teams. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that most of sports teams have the, their logo? It's, it's, it's an animal. My Philadelphia Eagles. Chicago Bears. We have, a, we, have, we have a few exceptions to the rule. We have the Saints. <laughs> we have the Saints down in New Orleans. Yeah, hallelujah. But, but for the most part, that, that's, that, that's you know, the, what happens with the natural man because he, he can't see God. He doesn't believe in God. So it's, you know, it, it's basically relating to the world around him. But the problem is it degenerates into worship. That's why people worship their job, people worship money. People worship their cars. I know none of you men will do that here. I know none of you men will do that. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't dare ever fall into that trap, would we? Oh, yes, we would. <laughs> we need to worship him. He needs to be the top priority. And there's been things in my life that have become important to me. And, and at times, the Lord has sort of challenged me about those things that have become a little more important than they need to. And there's been times where the Lord said, uh, Ray, will, will, will you get rid of that? <sighs> Ray, will you dispose of that? And you got that, man, you got that... Mm. Yeah, I think so, Lord. <laughs> and you're struggling with it because it's become a priority. It's become important. And this is how the Lord's dealt with me. I don't know what, you know what he does for you. But they changed the glory of the incorruptible God to an image made like corruptible man. That's why people oftentimes worship leaders. Put some important person maybe in your life on some kind of pedestal. And when you put people on a pedestal, they're always going to fall off. We want to relate upward to him. You know, I've met some dogs that are more friendly than some certain human beings that I've, I've met. <laughs> There's a quote by Charles de Gaulle. De Gaulle he was a uh, French general and uh, president of France. He said, the more I get to know men, the more I find myself loving dogs. And, and we, can, we can relate to that. <clears throat> the thing I like about a dog is like, they don't talk back, you know? They're just kind of there at your beck and call. I, I love that about dogs. 
And I just went through my dog thing recently. Somebody asked me, did you get a dog? And I said, no, I came to my sanity. I didn't get a dog. I mean, I'd love to have a dog, but, but we're never home. And it, it's just cruel to keep a dog, you know. When we had a family and we were home more than we are now, it worked out well. Um, but um, I, I still love to have a dog. I would. I'd just love to be able to have my dog and take a walk and all that, but I don't want to torture the poor thing by keeping it um, in some little cage. Now, verse 24. Therefore, God also gave them up or over, depending on your translation. I like both of those translations. Gave them up or gave them over in the lust of their flesh to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Now, what does this mean here? What does this mean that God gave them up or turned them over? And I think when we come to this verse, we're faced with a question that actually takes us back to verse 18. It takes us back to verse 18 when we're talking about the wrath of God being revealed. And we have to ask ourselves, because we have not got any specifics on how the wrath of God has been revealed, even though he speaks about it being revealed. This is how God presently has revealed his wrath, his exasperation, and his displeasure. He allows mankind to suffer the consequences of their sinful decisions. That's how. There's no big hand coming out of heaven whacking people. Okay? That'll come later. (laughs) That will come later. And you don't want to be here. That's why we're giving out free tickets to eternity this morning. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You know, since the fall, it's interesting how man has just sort of demanded um, his autonomy, his independence, his self-determination. And, and what happens is, is God turns people over to their choices. I, I find it interesting how man has demanded his autonomy. I want to be a self-determined creature. Man, since the fall, has been telling God, stay out of my life. So God stays out of his life, lets him experience the consequences of his decisions and choices. And then here's the irony of it. Man turns around and blames God. And and it's interesting, I've seen a theological thing here. Is that man has, again, has demanded my, my, my free will. my self-determination, my autonomy. But then after he experiences the consequences, he then quickly believes in the sovereignty of God. God, why'd you do this? Isn't that an enigma? He absolutely requires to be left alone. But then when things go wrong, God, why did you do this? He believes in the sovereignty of God suddenly. Interesting. Interesting theological enigma. Because man is confused. Man is very, very confused. Life is confusing without God. I'll tell you what, when God comes into your life, it just makes, life makes a whole lot more sense. 
what's it, Second um, Corinthians 5.17, if, if anyone believe in, if anyone um, be in Christ, he is a new creation. Uh, behold, all things, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. All things, verse 10, become, you know, all things are of God. In other words, you begin to see God. You begin to see his hand because his spirit has come into our lives. And all of a sudden, we have illumination. We have a whole other perspective in which we view things and understand things. Glorious, glorious thing. That's why the Bible says man is blind. Spiritually, he's blind until we come to Christ, and until we give our life to him. Now, verse 25 and I think the, the and as you look at the first half of this verse, I think this is the tragic story of man to, is summed up in this phrase, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That's what people do. Life so often we find is simply a trade-off. But they trade the truth about God for something lesser. Was there a book, Children of Lesser Gods? I think there is. And that's what happens is when we refuse the, the, the truth about Christ. The scripture just cuts away all the um, fancy terminology, all the flowery terms. It's just a lie. Jesus put it like this, you can gain the whole world, but in the transaction, you lose your soul. The thing about a lie is, you know, it, it oftentimes appears attractive. But in the end, man, it's devastating. It's the undoing of many people's lives. And in Philippians chapter 3, and I'm going to close with this, Paul writes about his life, I, I, Paul, I think, is writing here about all of his goals, all of his acquisitions, everything that was so important to him in his life before Christ. Because that's the thing. That, that's the thing often people deal with, the trade-off. If I come to Jesus, my, my style is going to be crimped. I'm going to be limited in what I can do, what I like to do. And, and it's a faulty reasoning. Because when we come to Christ, we are given so much more. We're just, we're just thinking about loss. We're just thinking about if I come to him, I'm going to lose this, I'm going to lose that. I can't do it. It's crazy. Because when we come to him, the gain is by, behind, beyond anything that you and I could even put a measurement to. He says, verse 7 of Philippians 3, all of his assets, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. All the things that were, you know, his acquisitions, his gain, maybe no, no doubt they had to do with his position, his title. I mean, he was rising up in the, in the ranks of the Pharisees. He was the guy who was commissioned to go to another country 
and snuff out the church. I mean, he was working on a big name. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, but count them as rubbish. In the Greek, it's dung. Not just rubbish. Doo-doo. That I may gain Christ. Paul saw everything, all of his accomplishments, all of his credentials, compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And the only way you find that out is you have to, by faith, step into it. Amen? You can, you can hear, in a sense, evangelism is, is, is an advertisement for the gospel, right? And you can hear that for years. But until you put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll never know. You'll go away scratching your head. Maybe it would have been a good deal. Maybe, I, I don't know, I don't know. It's just more of that moral confusion. When you come to Jesus, man, he will square your life away in a very blessed way. As we close, <clears throat> I'd like to pray for one another. there's anything this morning and God knows we don't need to any struggle going on in your life maybe you're having difficulty letting go of something surrendering something up to the Lord could be something like forgiving another person could be dealing with some personal issue in your life. He knows. So I'm going to ask you to stand if you want prayer. In your standing, you're offering it up to him. You don't have to be ashamed to stand. He knows our needs. He's our God. Lord, we praise you and we look to you this morning. Lord, we thank you for truth. Lord, you said that, that when we know the truth, the truth will set us free. And if the Son sets us free, we are free indeed. And Lord, we long for that kind of freedom. Lord, that's not a freedom the world can give us. That's not the kind of freedom that being an American citizen can give us. It's only given Lord, by heaven. And so we look to you, Father. Lord, we give to you this morning our struggle. And maybe that struggle is painful. Maybe our hearts are hurting about something. Lord, you know. 
And we're thankful, Lord, that we can come to the cross. We can offer, Lord, these things to you. They're too big for us, Lord. And so, Father, I pray that as we have, Lord, heard your word this morning, we open our lives, Lord, to you. Lord, we don't want to gain the world and lose our soul. We want to live for Jesus. Lord, help us to do that. Lord, if in any way, Father, we have believed any lies that have been foisted on us by our culture, our society, Lord, shine your light. Illuminate our lives, we pray, with the light of Christ. We want the mind of Christ. Lord, we want to think your thoughts. And so, Father, I pray your blessing, Lord, upon us. Father, as we go, And Lord, as we go back, Lord, to our situations, Lord, may there be a difference. Because, Lord, when we come to you, you're the God who changes things. Change hearts. You change minds. You change people. That's what changes the circumstances and the situations. And though things around us may not change, Lord, may we change. May we have a different perspective. Lord, may we have hope and faith. May we have the love of Christ to motivate us and move us. For Father, we ask that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Shall we all rise? Through every battle. Through every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, I believe you are my fortress, you are my portion, you are my hiding place, and I believe you are the way, the truth, the set on you and you meet me here today with mercies that are new all my fears and doubts they can all come too because they can't stay long when I'm here with you it's a new horizon and I'm set on you and you meet me here today with mercies that are new all my 